Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz. I'm here in Bloomington, Indiana, and we are recording this on the night of Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. We're getting into some week three recaps. We're three weeks into Big Ten football, believe it or not. The time's flying by, uh, and the Big Ten, it's got other conferences out there. Uh, Pac-12's back. The MAC is back. Uh, for the first time this season, those conferences were playing alongside the Big Ten. Big Ten's in week three, though, going into week four. Joining me is Reed Murray to break it all down. What's going on, Reed? Not too much. I got to say, Saturday was a pretty nice day. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, you saw what I had to say about Saturday. We had an Ohio State win, an Indiana win, and a Michigan loss, both in one. We had a Tennessee Vols loss, Penn State loss, which was a really exciting upset. So uh, Saturday was one of the better days in college football that we've had in a while. So I'm excited to break it down. From a college football and a personal standpoint, it was a tremendous day for Reed. Murray, congrats on your success in the hockey rank. And uh, of course, your college football teams and college football teams you hate doing well slash bad. I love to see the Tennessee Vols fail, I must say. Even though it's a Big Ten podcast, I feel like I got to bring the balls up relatively often. You know how funny it is in every single Indiana broadcast I've watched this season. This didn't happen last year, but they're always like, you know, Michael Penix Jr., he was committed to Tennessee, but uh, when Butch Jones was fired and then uh, uh, Jeremy Pruitt was named the head coach, they stopped recruiting him. So uh, Tennessee could have had Michael Penix. Instead, they've got Jay-Z, who is uh, not Michael Penix, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, those stories are always funny, just like how uh, Penn State had Justin Fields and then now here he is torching him two years in a row. Penn State and Georgia had Justin Fields. And, uh, I mean, Michael Penix, apparently he wanted to go to Florida State, but Willie Taggart didn't recruit him either. Uh, I mean, he had offers from Tennessee and Florida State, but they didn't care about him the way Tom Allen did, and uh, that's panned out well for Indiana. Speaking of Indiana, let's get into the IU-Michigan game. Hoosiers beat Michigan for the first time since 1987. They are 3-0. It's crazy down here in Bloomington. Uh, there's more hype around this team than I think I've ever seen in my whole life. Indiana football is here. They're for real. They're number 10 in the nation. What's all to make of this read? Indiana's legit, and I've been waiting a long time to say that because I've wanted them to be legit. And I said this on Twitter recently. you got to start following me on Twitter if you don't. College football is more fun when teams like Indiana are good. And that's not me being uh, an Indiana fan. By the way, I'm not – I don't consider myself an Indiana fan, but uh, it seems like some podcast listeners – like to call me that I don't label myself an Indiana fan um, but I do love to see Indiana succeed just like how I'd love to see Kentucky and Syracuse in 2018 succeed it's teams like that uh, the teams who you don't see it coming and then all of a sudden they got 10 wins or they're not gonna have 10 wins this year because they don't play 10 games but you know what I mean they do they surpass expectations they go to a good bowl game I love seeing surprise teams like that and Coastal Carolina too they're another one of those um, so like I said, college football is just more fun when teams like Indiana are good. So this season is great in terms of craziness, upsets, unexpected results, and Indiana is one of the best of them. And, you know, with the, with the Hoosiers, uh, again, I had never seen anything like this in my life with this team. Uh, and as one of the people who's been following Indiana football through my whole life, and even more so than basketball, I've always been a football first guy it's impressive to, to finally see that this team is, is making it because, you know, for so long it had been getting close, scaring the big teams, scaring Penn state, scaring Michigan. They finally got over the hump with that Penn state game. And that win looks a whole lot less impressive now, but uh, they got over the hump. That's what, that's what it meant. And 
they, they finally beat Michigan for the first time in my lifetime. And, you know, 14 years before I was born, uh, it was the last time they beat Michigan, which is absolutely just insane uh, that they finally, finally, finally got it done. Uh, it has been a long time coming and, and, you know, so many close losses I can remember uh, in the last 10 years, especially uh, even going back a little bit before that to when Bill Lynch was the coach of Indiana. Uh, so many heartbreakers against the Wolverines, so many times where Indiana should have won it and they just didn't. And, and they, they fell apart at the end and that didn't happen this time. I, I could tell you, I was, I was thinking to myself, they're going to fall apart at some point. They're bound to, and they just never did. This team is a lot more resilient than any other Indiana football team I've ever seen. They aren't as prone to blowing a game in the last you know, 10 minutes than even last year's team was. And I think that's a really big step in the right direction for IU football and uh, certainly something that this team can hang their hats on. And this year's team, when they went and beat Penn State, that game was close throughout the entire game. And it's, it's extremely impressive that Indiana won, uh, but it was a close game. And some might argue it was a fluke with that final call. I'm not going to say that, but I have seen some people uh, making that claim. But this Michigan game was completely different. Indiana dominated. And Michigan, they kept it close. They, it was a good game. Don't get me wrong. It was exciting all the way through. And it was a ball game. But Indiana won by three possessions. This was a huge win. And once it got to the fourth quarter, Indiana put the game on ice early uh, in that fourth quarter. And the fact that not only Indiana can now go and beat ranked teams and beat these powerhouses, but they do it by a margin, like 17 points, that's a huge, huge step in the right direction for Indiana. And it's not even steps in the right direction anymore. It is, they're already on the right direction. Now, it's, it's not the program is going to become great. The program is great. So that's where they are right now, which is, it just makes me really happy to say that because we've seen Indiana fail. They've been one of the worst college football programs in college football history for a long time. And now after the years and years of pain this fan base has suffered through, they're finally starting to, to, to get some sort of positive result, which is just really awesome to see. It's kind of like when Northwestern won the Big Ten West two years ago, one of the historically bad programs who suffered for years, finally getting their act together. Yeah, and this game being a three-possession game, uh, you can you can thank the offense, of course. Michael Penix Jr. threw for over 340 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, took him a lot of attempts to get there, but he was efficient. And he was a lead all day long. Huge game for Ty Freifogel, too. But you really just got to say, this is something – who thought you'd say this about Indiana football? It's the defense getting it done, forcing turnovers. Uh, and they were doing it without Jamar Johnson for most of the game, who got ejected early for throwing a punch, which – that's a boneheaded play. That's something kind of inexcusable, but they, they still got it done. And, and it's monster Matthews who, who's the, the biggest uh, guy coming up on this defense, him and Taiwan Mullen have been incredible all season long, especially in this Michigan game. Uh, they really exposed Michigan's entire game plan. And speaking of exposed, the Michigan defensive backs are terrible. And we'll talk about Michigan in a minute, but, this Indiana defense is a really, really, really legit unit, and Kane Womack is probably going to be head coach candidate this offseason. Yeah, and um, just to circle back on Jamar Johnson, it's it's really a shame when you see that happen to a player because – or not really when, when you see it happen to him. He did it. He did the stupid thing. But, I mean, this season, for this entire year, Jamar Johnson is my favorite Indiana player not named Stevie Scott, and – it just really sucks I, that you hate to see that happen. And it's, you know, the player 
his emotions got the best of him, but that was a boneheaded play, and like you just said. And if you're going to win games like this, I know Indiana still won relatively comfortably, but if you want to put together a full game and win huge games where you have expectations um, to live up to, your best defensive player, Jamar Johnson, can't be doing that. And really, none of the star players, none of the players in general, but especially Jamar Johnson. So they got to clean that up. You need Jamar Johnson if you even want to hang with Ohio State in two weeks in Columbus. That's not even a question. You need Jamar Johnson to contain Justin Fields. But uh, th- this win for Indiana, a 17-point home win over Michigan, first win over Michigan in 33 years, I think this signals a turning of the tides in the Big Ten, and not just this Indiana game, but you know a lot of the other games too and a lot of the other results, You know, win or lose. A lot of these lower-tier Big Ten teams are on the rise, and a lot of the higher-ups kind of look like they're on the decline. Michigan's down, Michigan State's down, Penn State's down, Indiana's on the way up, Maryland's on the way up, and Rutgers is on the way up. So is Northwestern. Nebraska's Don't down. Don't forget about Purdue. Didn't even mention that. And Purdue kind of looks like the lower guys of the Big Ten, the little guys are finally on the rise, and we could see some true slumps for some of the powerhouses. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this uh, Penn State and Michigan slump will last too long. I think they're going to get out of it relatively soon. But like I said earlier, it's it's an exciting time when all the big names are really struggling, except for, for me, Ohio State. It's great that every big name except for them is struggling. <laughs> but uh, it's it's good to see when a team who is known for getting beaten up and they've been really the punching bag of the conference starts to win some games. Now, I don't know if if Rutgers and Maryland are going to how many more games they're going to win because uh, maybe Rutgers was just a, a little fluky winning against Michigan state and they're not all that we will see. And we'll get into that later when we talk about the Scarlet Knights, but we could see in the future more and more of this where some of the big teams, it's not just easy street for them anymore. And I think Wisconsin right now they're good and they're in, in good shape, but a few years down the road, I think something similar could happen to them once Graham Mertz is gone. Yeah. Unless they find another generational running back, which, they probably will. Let's be real. It's Wisconsin. But uh, with, with Michigan, particularly, you mentioned them. You say you don't think that this slump is going to last too long. And let's talk about Michigan. I kind of think the slump's going to last a while. You think they're just going to find a solid defensive back or linebacker tomorrow? Like, it's, it's kind of tough to see that happening, given how weak this defense is. And, and even the, the offense without Nico Collins has been struggling at, at points. And Milton has been, I think, okay. He's been hit or miss, but the defense is awful. The Michigan defense is just putrid, and they're not going to get better tomorrow unless they make some changes, especially on that coaching staff with Don Brown. Now, when I said that they're not going to be in this slump for two, I didn't mean this season. I think they're going to continue to struggle this year. I'm talking more long run. I think at least at the most two years, they'll bounce back and be where they were last year, two years ago. Um, and still be one of the Big Ten powerhouses. I don't think they go back into a slump like we saw in the early 2010s. But you are absolutely right about this team right now. It's the defense that's holding them back. And the offense isn't doing them too many favors. They've been doing all right, especially considering what they've lost. But this defense has to shape up, and I don't think it's going to happen in the 2020 season. And if Michigan wants to avoid a a Brady Hoke-era slump or even a Rich Rodriguez-era slump, they got to fire Don Brown. It's obvious that his defense just doesn't work anymore and that you know, those the strong Michigan defenses of three, four years ago just aren't walking through that door. They, they need to make a change on that coaching staff because a lot of it, these guys are obviously talented. They're all high-rated recruits. They're all four stars, even five stars on this defense. The coaching is just not coming through. You know, Michigan, you're going there as a four-star or five-star, and you're coming out 
you know, a completely unheralded player. It's, it's really a shame that this coaching staff just can't get it done with these really, really, really good high school players. Something's just got to change uh, in that coaching staff. And I think it starts with Don Brown. And when we were talking about the, uh, the losses of players like Nico Collins, I want to give a special shout out here to Cornelius Johnson from Michigan. He's a wide receiver. He really stepped up last week and he's no Nico Collins and it's going to, nobody's going to be able to truly replace Nico Collins. He's a pretty irreplaceable, extremely valuable player, but Johnson's a good consolation. And the link up between Milton and Johnson on the deep ball is looking really nice for Michigan. So if you're a Wolverine fan, it's good to see that. It's good to see um, the future in the next couple of years you might have a guy like Nico Collins step up into that role. And I've said this before. I like Giles Jackson. He seems to be a lot like a Paris Campbell um, gadget style player. And in the next few years, this Michigan offense, I mean, they look okay right now, but I think in the next few years, that might be their strength and they may be a much more offense heavy team. Like a team you'd see in the big 12. You know, Michigan, I, I think they're going to probably have to rely on that offense, assuming the defense doesn't get much better because it, it's hard to see it getting better from where it is right now. Uh, and even with the way they've recruited on both sides of the ball, the, the coaching is just not there on defense. And maybe they will have to resort to playing a Big 12 style or even a Purdue style uh, to keep it in the Big 10. Uh, but, I mean, honestly, with, with this offense, I just don't know. With, with them if they can get it done against against any team with a pulse because uh, Minnesota I don't really think is a pulse it's arguable if Michigan State's got a pulse even uh, but I don't know if they can really truly get it done and win games and they're playing Wisconsin this coming week and Wisconsin's obviously got an elite defense but should be an easier game for the Wisconsin or uh, Michigan defense rather because uh, they're going to be facing like what a third or fourth string quarterback assuming Graham Hurts isn't on the field so We'll see if Michigan can get it done in a game that if they if they can't win against a third or fourth string quarterback, they are in huge trouble, even bigger trouble than we think they're in right now. You're right about that. And um, this offense, I think when they go up against the bigger defenses like the Wisconsin's and the Ohio State's, the Big Ten, what they're going to do is they're going to put up a few points, make them look, uh, make them look bad to a certain extent. Um, say, oh well, you got freshman quarterback Joe Milton. Uh, putting up yards on you, but they're not going to be able to do nearly enough to win the game against Wisconsin or Ohio State. Like I said, they're going to put up maybe three scores. You're going to see flashes of the future. You're going to see good potential, but that's all this Michigan offense has right now is potential. They, they don't, they're not a finished product. And this entire Michigan team seems to not be a finished product, which is a problem when you're one of the elite programs playing in the Big Ten and you're starting to lose your status. That's the thing. This is a young team. The coaching is questionable. And they're obviously talented. If they weren't talented, they'd be getting blown out every single week, and they wouldn't have beaten Minnesota if they weren't talented. Uh, but they're talented. There are a lot of really solid players on this team, a lot of really solid prospects, guys who will be good in two or three years. Uh, it just doesn't really happen to be coming together yet for Michigan, and that's a worrisome sign at this point in the season. And again, though, let's harp on the biggest thing in this game Indiana's legit, and they won a game they hadn't won in 33 years. So huge congrats to the Hoosiers on that one. And we were talking about Michael Penix earlier. Um, I just wanted to point out Michael Penix and Ty Freifogel were amazing in this game. And I remember in our preview, I pointed this out to you guys. Uh, I said the game is going to come down to Penix, Freifogel, and Hendershot. It's going to come down to whether or not the Penix and Freifogel, Freifogel connection is going to work. 
said it wasn't going to work, and that's why I thought Michigan was going to win the game. But I said, if Fry Fogel is on top of his game and Penix hits him up, um, and we don't see Penix struggling the way he did against Penn State, Indiana wins by more than two scores. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and I said Indiana was going to win the game, and I said it's going to be because, be because they exposed the Michigan defensive backs early with deep passing. Lo and behold, you know what they did? Exposed the Michigan defensive backs early with deep passing, especially catching them off guard with Michael Penix's clapping to get them off sides. Huge. Free plays. Two free plays turned into touchdowns. Michigan, that defensive line that I said was so vaunted, they can't even – they fall for Michael Penix clapping his hands together every time. Like, it, it was funny to watch. Like, come on. Just just watch the ball. Don't don't listen. That, that's basic defensive coaching. And that's why I think this defensive coaching staff has got to be fired tomorrow and should have been left on the tarmac in Bloomington. If you're going offsides that many times, at some point it's not on the players. You know? And Yeah, and like I said, Fry Fogel – he looked great in this game. He struggled against Penn State. He and Michael Penix both struggled. Penn, or Penix gave him a few good passes in that game where Fry Fogel really just didn't do his job uh, to the best extent. He showed up against Michigan. He was a huge reason why they won, and I'm giving him player of the game for this one. Um, Gore touchdown early. Uh, that was crucial for Indiana to get those points up early, and Fry Fogel really just was the backbone of this team in this game because – they were a guy who was going to rely on. Obviously, failure is going to be somebody you're going to need in a game like this. He is one of the best players on the field. He's arguably the best player on the field every time Indiana steps out there. So you need a guy like Fry Fogel to show up when Penick or when uh, failure isn't available. It's exactly what he did. Ty Fry Fogel was my player of the game. Yeah, Fry Fogel was excellent. He was he was really 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 good this game. You know, 142 yards and a touchdown, kind of unstoppable. I'm going with Michael Penix though. I mean, 342 yards, three TDs. He just tore apart the Michigan secondary, which, you know, any quarterback with a pulse can tear apart the Michigan secondary. But Michael Penix Jr. did it in a way that pretty much no one else can do. I mean, he is just such a unique, talented, special player. He's the kind of guy who you don't think Indiana's ever going to get. And when they get him, uh, that's a once-in-a-generation type of guy. Michael Penix Jr. is my player of the game. And really, he's the most important player for this team and one of the most important players in the entire country. He's becoming a sleeper Heisman pick for some guys. I don't know about that, but he's still potentially got three more years left at Indiana. This is his redshirt sophomore season. While he could go to the NFL this season, could go next year, there's a chance he stays for three more years. And I think if he's here his redshirt senior season, there's a chance Michael Penix Jr. wins the Heisman Trophy. And in the past, it seems like I'm a Michael Penix hater because going into this week, I said I wasn't buying the Penix hype. And when you were talking about him in, the, in that Penn State win, I was critical of him. And I was talking about how he should have been playing the way he did in the fourth quarter for a bigger portion of the game, how he struggled early. But please don't think I'm a Penix hater. And the fact that I didn't give him play of the game here really just means that I thought Fry Fogel was just that good. Um, Michael Penix did show out. And it's not an incredibly hard task to be a D1 quarterback who destroys the Michigan defense. But like you said, he did it way better than most quarterbacks could. He was a huge part of why Indiana won this game. So uh, let's be clear, Penix, incredible game for him. And if Indiana wants to keep winning ranked matchups and winning big games like that, it's going to come down to Michael Penix showing out and having huge games week in and week out. And I think he can. He's got an 8-1 and one record as the starter for the Hoosiers. His one loss 
on the road to rank Michigan State team last year. He gets a chance to avenge that this coming week and take the old brass spittoon back to Bloomington. Let's get into our next game here. Uh, so we talked about Indiana. Let's talk about one of the other big games in the Big Ten, and that was the upset of the day, Maryland taking down Penn State. Penn State falls to 0-3 in conference play for the first time since 2004. Wow, who saw that coming? 35 to 19. And that score is way closer than it actually was because Penn State came down and scored some garbage time points uh, on Maryland. And, and it really wasn't that close. This was 35 to 7 in the second half. Maryland blew the absolute doors off of Penn State. Who saw that coming? If you're on video right now, if you're watching the YouTube version, you saw it. But like the people listening to the podcast, my, my facial reaction is just shocked. Like, wow, Maryland beat Penn State by that much on the road in Penn State's own three. I mean, go back in time like a month and be like, yeah, week three, Big Ten, uh, Penn State's going to fall to 0 3 with a home loss to Maryland. Let me ask everyone who's listening to this podcast right now to not go back to our last episode preview this week and hear what I said about this game because I was dead wrong. And one of the things I was wrong about is I said Talia Tagamalo was going to look average in this game at best. And I got to say, we have a much better idea of how good Talia is now because early on he faced one of the best defenses in the FBS and got destroyed. Second week, he faced one of the worst defenses in the FBS and he torched them. So it's hard to gauge how good a player is. Now he faced a defense that's not quite elite, but also not bad. It's a good team. And he's the truth. He's a young guy. He is the future of Maryland. And the fact that he's balling out like this so early in his career, he's hardly acquainted with his teammates and, and his coaching staff. And he's going out here and doing what he's doing. That speaks volumes. And uh, Talia, he's got to be uh, on your radar for Heisman, not this year, but maybe in the next two years, because he's a special talent. Yeah, he is, you know, I think a similar player to his brother an elite quarterback. Uh, he didn't look like it when he threw three interceptions week one against Northwestern. I was absolutely right that he was going to struggle that game because Northwestern has an elite defense and coming out, get, you're getting thrown to the wolves when you're playing Northwestern in your very first uh, FPS start. But, you know, against an average defense in Penn State, and I don't know how average they are because they've got some elite players. They've got some really, really, really solid players. They've got, you know, great pass rushers, Shaka Tony. And, and some good defensive backs too. And they played well against a great team in Indiana. Don't get me wrong, but Tiger Vailoa just torched them. And you know who even torched them more is the five-star freshman or Kim Jarrett who had 144 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, his, his two touchdown catches, 42-yard bomb, 62-yard bomb, both from Tiger Vailoa. This is a deadly combination. And it's hard to believe that Maryland has got these guys on its roster. And you have to think that these two guys are going to declare for the draft early. They'll be gone pretty soon. But in theory, these these guys could be playing Maryland football together for four more years. That's scary to think about. Now, I think Rakim Jarrett uh, and Talia, like I said, both very likely to two years from now be in the NFL draft, potentially be first-round picks. But this extra year of eligibility and the fact that uh, they're both young in their careers, I mean, Rakim Jarrett is a true freshman at Maryland. That is worrisome if you are any other Big Ten team. The fact that you have to go into a Maryland game now, you have to worry about it. Maryland was always a team you just go, ah, 
Maryland. Who cares? We'll, we'll hang 50 on them. Now you actually have to worry about Maryland if you're an elite team like Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, whoever it may be. And I mean, Penn State, they didn't worry about this Maryland team at all. And it showed. They grossly misunderestimated Maryland. And honestly, their defense just looked lazy throughout this game. And maybe it was just Maryland having speed, but this defense, they could have put a lot more effort into it. They looked lazy. They looked unprepared. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. And boy, did it show on the scoreboard. Oh, yeah. And by the way, I was talking about when I talked about Michael Penix earlier and I said that he could have three more years left in Indiana. You know, he could have this year and then two more after his redshirt sophomore year. I forgot that this year doesn't count for eligibility. You could see four more years of Michael Penix. You could see five years for Kim Garrett, potentially. He's probably going to go to the NFL after three, but uh, the, the pandemic adds another year of eligibility to everyone if they want it. Uh, but, but these two guys at Maryland are going to be a nonstop entertainment for, for the next three years, at the very least. Uh, this is going to be a fun, fun team to watch, I think, for a super long time because of these two guys. And the recruiting is good, too. Maryland's recruiting really well. Uh, Mike Loxley's done an excellent job since coming to Maryland on the trail. And assuming that team continues to pick up and it'll only get better the more they win, and lo and behold, they're winning games and they've got two superstars, things are really looking up for the Terps. Yeah, I was going to point that out, uh, the fact that we've talked about Mike, Mike Loxley being a good recruiter, and that's one of the things that he's really known for, um, if anything. But the fact that not only is Maryland recruiting well right now, they're actually going out and winning games. You know, we look at Maryland, we, we see a team who has a bright future, but they also have a bright present. I mean, they went and beat a Minnesota team who we're, we're asking questions about now. Are they really uh, an impressive win? But they went out and beat Penn State. That is a huge deal. So the fact that they're actually getting results now is enormous for them. Yeah, and we talk about the Terps, you know, how huge this is and that they are a legit team. They get Ohio State this week. Uh, I, I certainly don't think they're going to beat Ohio State, right? But they can compete. This is probably going to be the toughest two-week stretch for Ohio State all year. Maryland and Indiana back-to-back. <laughs> Who would have thought? But uh, the, the, the Terps are looking up, and Penn State is struggling, and they're reeling. They get Nebraska this week. Uh, could be kind of a loser leaves town match. Uh, whoever loses that game, I think, is kind of just waving the white flag for the rest of the year, assuming both teams aren't going to wave the white flag for the rest of the year. But Penn State seems down and damn near out. And let's talk about James Franklin for a second. Because, like I said, he and his team grossly underestimated Maryland. They're 0-3 worst start in years for Penn State I mean he's leading a team full of four and five stars who couldn't get over the hump of a young young Maryland team who got dismantled by Northwestern you ready for my hot take of the day hit me Franklin's got to go he is done I mean he did the unthinkable with Penn State and he put them on the map as a top tier team in the power five a few years ago since 2016 though this team hasn't improved at all he brought this team and I'm not going to discount what he did because he brought a post paterno Penn state program out of the gutter in such a short amount of time. And Penn state will always view him as a legendary coach just for that. But like I said, since 2016, this Penn state team has gone nowhere. They've been a straight, they haven't trended up. They've been a straight line ever since that 2016 uh, season where they beat Ohio state won the big 10 
and then they won, I believe, the Fiesta Bowl. Um, and I mean, at a certain point, the team just has to grow. They're not doing it right now. And when you look back at Franklin's time, they have three huge wins. They got the win against Ohio State in 2016. Then they have two wins against Michigan in 2017 and 2019. I guess you could also say their 2016 Fiesta Bowl win uh, was, a, was a pretty big deal. But I mean, they lost to the Citrus Bowl, or they lost in the Citrus Bowl to Kentucky, uh, the other bowl game that was of note. They, uh, Fiesta they Bowl last year. Team who's, eh, I mean, they were a good group of five team, but this Penn State team, James Franklin said it himself in 2018 after the loss to Ohio State. They're great, but Ohio State is elite. Penn State is great, but they are not elite yet. He's had two years since he made that comment to make his team elite, or I guess really a year and a half, it seems, um, and he hasn't done it. And I don't think he has it in him to do that. I just think he's, he's kind of a bizarre coach in the fact that he has so many good players, he's done so well, yet he always finds a way to ruin it and I just don't see this team moving in the right direction under Franklin and when you look at the coaching market right now there's some great candidates out there Joe Brady former offensive coordinator of LSU current offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers he's a candidate that's being talked to, talked about for a multitude of programs Brent Venables defensive coordinator at Clemson he's a longtime assistant there and there's been tons of talk about him going to different programs there's no way he stays at Clemson for more than a year uh, from now, Blake Anderson, head coach of Arkansas State, similar to that'll be a similar hire to James Franklin, being a guy who took a program who's usually down low and really made something out of them. Uh, unfortunately for Penn State, two of the best coaches in the market, Luke Fickle and Jeff Halfley, probably won't want to go to Ohio to one of Ohio State's fiercest competitors. So that really sucks for them. But there's still some great coaches out there on the market, and at the end of the day, they've got to progress, and it's just not going to happen under James Franklin. They got to rebuild. They got to figure something new out. Um, but unfortunately for Penn State, it's 2020. They're going to play the 2020 pandemic card that everything's different 2020. Uh, and they're going to forgive him for all this. And I think that we're going to see a few more years of not necessarily mediocrity because this, this Penn State team is better than mediocre when they're at their best. But Penn State at their best is still not elite, which is not a state they want to be in right now. Here's my problem with your argument. So, and I think this is the problem with the Michigan Fire Harbaugh thought process too. You don't want to become Nebraska. So when Nebraska fired Bo Pelini, they were sick of 10 win seasons. They were sick of winning nine or 10 games. They didn't want to just be a very good team. They wanted to become elite and they swung for the fences and they struck out hard. And now Nebraska wins five games a year. You don't want to risk becoming Nebraska. And that's the fear because it depends. Are you content with 10 wins a year and just kind of staying at that nine, 10 wins? That's a great program. That's a very solid program. Maybe you break through, you cross your fingers. Or do you want to risk it? Maybe you become a, an elite program or maybe you become Nebraska. That's the question. Do you want to become Nebraska? Because you know, the only the only way to know if you can become elite is if you try. But at the same time, if you try, it is hard to claw your way back and Nebraska is perfect evidence of that. You're right about that, but Nebraska seems to be a rare example of that happening. Because you look at Michigan, they are a historically great program. They went through some rough years. Eventually, they found the guy. If it wasn't uh, the immediate next hire, they eventually found him, Jim Harbaugh, who took this team from six and six, five and seven seasons to, although still not elite, 
going nine and three or 10 and two. Ohio State, Jim Trestle was fired. Now that wasn't a fire in terms of his performance. That was because, uh, or he actually wasn't fired. He had to leave um, because he broke NCAA rules. We had Luke Fickle for a year, didn't work out well, went six and seven, lost in the Gator Bowl. Then Urban Meyer comes along. A lot of times for a program who has a big name like Penn State, you're going to find your guy. There's going to be the right coach who wants to step in and take this program where it needs to be. So firing James Franklin doesn't seem like an enormous risk. Now it's a risk, I'll say, because there always is the risk that you fall into that pit where Nebraska still sits uh, that Scott Frost isn't taking them out of. But I think more than likely in the next five years, if they were to fire James Franklin after the end of this season, they would find the right guy and they would get themselves out of this spiral of being nine and three, 10 and two, and never getting over that hump of making the playoff, winning the Big Ten. Well, actually, they did win the Big Ten in 2016, but consistently going to the Big Ten championship. And I think eventually they've got to take the step in the right direction because being the same team over and over again, the team who always goes in, beats every team on the schedule who isn't named Ohio State and Michigan, uh, beats Michigan every other year, um, maybe loses a game here or there to, uh, say, Wisconsin or Minnesota. That's not who you want to be. You want to be a team who is at the top of their division. They beat Ohio State. They beat Michigan. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Minnesota. They beat whoever the new hot team is on the rise, like Indiana. That's just not who they are right now. Here's what I'd argue, though, is the issue for either Michigan or Penn State firing their coach is, you know, if one of the reasons is you can't beat Ohio State, that is a huge reason because, I mean, Ohio State is the team to beat. Ohio State is going through a period of historical dominance right now. This is one of the highest highs in the history of, of Buckeye football ever. They are just unbeatable right now. So if you're firing them because they can't beat the very, very best team, I think that sets a bad precedent. And suddenly, you know, you're not going to be beating even Indiana consistently, maybe not beating, you know, Penn State, Michigan, beating each other consistently, which, whichever one you want to look at there. You know, maybe you're not even beating Rutgers or Maryland once those teams kind of come up. You don't want to fall into that Nebraska pit, and I think that's the fear. Unless you have a home run candidate lined up, a guy who you know is going to work out perfectly, an Urban Meyer type, then I don't think it's worth it. I just don't. Now, you did make a good point about that, though, because the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten East, is having one of its greatest years, or really, uh, you know, not necessarily this year, but in the next four years, the Big Ten East is going to be the best division of football. And it's it's been either number one or number two, in the last five, 10 years, but in the next four years, the Big Ten East is going to be elite because right now Rutgers is on the rise, Maryland's on the rise, Indiana's on the rise, Michigan State's the only team who seems to be down bad, and I think they're gonna stay there. Um, But you're talking about one elite team and five teams who are potentially great. They have great potential. So you are right in that it, it would be a bigger risk considering the state that the conference and the division specifically are in. Yeah, and, and seeing that, that Maryland is really, really, really on the rise. Same with Rutgers, I think, and, and really Indiana. They're not on the rise anymore. Indiana football is here, and I think they're here to stay. This is going to be a nightmare division. This is, you know, even for Ohio State, this isn't going to be a cakewalk. Uh, and let's say Michigan and Penn State bounce back, then it's certainly going to be the best division in college football. But if they stay down a little bit, 
then who knows? Uh, the dynamics of this division seem to be changing rapidly. You're right about that. Um, one thing, one last thing I want to talk about for this is where do we see Penn State finishing the rest of the year? Because we came into this year thinking they were going to be one of the top teams. I had them second in the East. I believe you had them there as well. I think I did. Here they are sitting at 0-3. What do we see happening with the rest of their season? I got them going 4-4 four and four in the end because at the end of the day, they still are Penn State. I think they pick it up. They got Nebraska next week. They need a win. I think they get it. I think Iowa too. Iowa just doesn't look like the Iowa I've seen in the past for years. And I still think it would be an upset if Iowa wins. I don't think Iowa has that upset potential. At Michigan, Michigan is having a rough go. And I think this is going to be an ugly battle of teams who are historically one of the best in the Big Ten. And like we said, we've said we've been saying this for this entire episode. These are teams who are historically amazing, looking bad. I think Penn State's just the stronger team. I think they just have superior athletes. So I got Penn State in this one, but I got them losing like on the road to, against Rutgers, honestly. Um, because, I mean, they lost to Maryland at home. And you might think, oh, well, they're not going to go that low again. But I think they do. This team, they, they just have the ability to give away games like that. And it might be another one of those games where they get some confidence going, those last three wins. And they get overconfident. They, they underestimate Rutgers. And I think Rutgers, um, they were overhyped early. I think they might fall a little bit. So Rutgers, they might go into that game as huge favorites. And I think Rutgers surprises them. Then uh, Michigan State, they get a win. I, I got them going four and four, which would put them into a bowl game. But that's, that's just embarrassing for Penn State. Even five and three would be rough. Yeah, any of that would be a huge letdown. The season already is chalked up as a letdown. They're got, they got to go bowling, right? Like, it's, it's kind of inconceivable that this team doesn't even make, like, a, a Little Caesars Bowl or, I mean, now... Well, there's no way that the, the bowl committee wouldn't choose them. I mean, they're Penn State. They, they're a draw, and they're a TV draw, because there probably won't be many fans of these bowl games, if any, uh, besides parents, at least, with the Big Ten's rules. But they're a TV draw, so I think ESPN and, and the bowl committee would want them. Uh, if they are an option, even over a, a team like Rutgers, even if they say have the same record, which is insane, but it's tough to see them not being a bowl team, no matter how bad I think they kind of look. I agree with you on that. Um, ready to move to the next game? Let's do that. Uh, so let's talk about this Michigan State-Iowa game. Uh, so Michigan State coming off their shocker uh, in Ann Arbor, beating Michigan. Uh, <laughs> they just came out and lost 49 to 7 to Iowa. They gave up 49 points to Iowa. 49 points to the Iowa Hawkeyes. An offense that had looked anemic the rest of the season uh, came out and just torched Michigan State. I'll let you know, though, it was not Spencer Petras who torched them. He still looked as mediocre as ever, if not below average, which is, you know, what we expect from him at this point. And I was right to be skeptical of him and the Hawkeyes coming into the year. Tyler Goodson, 113 yards, two touchdowns, 226 yards, four touchdowns as a team on the ground for the Hawkeyes. Running the balls, what got it done. Yeah, and uh, the, the biggest thing that you got to focus on in this game is Michigan State, no matter how rough they've looked, because they've, they've been on and off in the past five years. They've had nine and three seasons, and they've had three and nine seasons, but you could always count on their defense to show up. 
that defense just isn't there anymore. We don't have that Spartans defense that we've gotten used to in the last five, 10 years to look at because they give up the good 49 points to Iowa. And although Tyler Goodson is a really good running back, I mean, come on, it's Iowa. It's Spencer Petrus, Iowa. You cannot be giving up that many points to such a team. And that really begs the question, how is it even possible that they go and do this to Iowa? A team who did this to Iowa beat Michigan. How? That is unfathomable. And they gave up 14 points to Michigan. I mean, Michigan, say what you want about them. They got a good quarterback in Joe Milton. They got receiving options. They got a good running back duo. How is this possible? You know, and that, I think, is the biggest indictment of Michigan this season. Not even the Indiana loss, which that should be expected. Indiana is a much, much better football team than Michigan. <laughs> how did they lose this Michigan State team? They look terrible. How did, how did Rocky Lombardi torch the Michigan secondary? Because the Michigan secondary sucks. How did Ricky White? By the way, Ricky White, first game against Rutgers, one catch for five yards. Last week against Michigan, 196 yards and one touchdown. This week against Iowa, one catch for 22 yards. I mean, Michigan led a complete no-name who can't even catch more than one pass in any other game absolutely torch them. My biggest takeaway from this game is that Michigan is awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of the reason you said that Rocky Lombardi torched the secondary because the secondary is bad. It's also, that was a freakish game for Lombardi. You're not going to see that week in, week out. That was him playing the game of his life against his rival. And maybe that's what happened with this defense too. Because like I said, Michigan, their offense is still a threat. And the fact that Michigan State did what they did to him, held him to 14 points, is impressive. Um, so maybe you can just chalk it up to it being a rivalry game. But that is just poor to give up 49 points to Iowa. And, I mean, this is a run-oriented team. And it's hard to give up that many points to a team who relies on the run so heavily. Because when you run the ball for an entire drive, that takes up a lot of time. That eats a lot of clock. It doesn't even seem possible for Iowa to score 49 points. We haven't seen this in a while. I mean, they exploded against USC in the Holiday Bowl scoring 45 points. But, I mean, God, this is, like I said, it's almost unfathomable. Right. And, by the way, uh, Michigan State takes on Indiana next week in East Lansing. Reed, can you guess how many points Indiana's favored by? You always give me these because I, I never check uh, these betting lines. I'm going to guess it's some ridiculously disrespectful number for Indiana. I'm going to say four and a half points. Indiana is a seven and a half point favorite. Okay. To a team so, yeah, I understand. But yeah, seven and a half points. Come on. I mean, they beat Rutgers by multiple possessions and Rutgers is there. I, I wouldn't consider it a debate that Rutgers is better than Michigan state. No. Oh no, no, no. Not even close. I mean, it's ridiculous, though. I, mean, I don't want to sound like an Indiana homer or anything because that's not what we're about on this podcast. But maybe it's just because they are Indiana and they're not a historically respectable program. But, I mean, it seems like no matter what they do, they're not going to get respect for the name. It seems like if they wouldn't beat Ohio State, they would still be give, given a similar betting line. I mean, what more can you want from this team? They could beat Ohio State and go be ranked behind them in the playoff poll next week. Yeah. <laughs> they could beat Ohio State, and ESPN would still project them to go to the pinstripe bowl. <laughs> the Liberty Bowl, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. By the way, I've looked at these Indiana Bowl projections. 
So disrespectful. They haven't played in like LSU or Arkansas. Come on. It's a, it's a joke. They would crush them. Now, I actually would want to see Indiana play Arkansas. That would be a, is a disrespectful matchup for them. But Arkansas is just such a crazy team this year. Yeah, in that they're objectively not amazing, but they're out here winning games. But uh, I digress. Speaking of objectively not amazing, Michigan State, uh, at the very least, is objectively not amazing. Uh, I think they're terrible. How I think they're the worst team in the Big Ten East, but at the same time, like, they beat Michigan. And, and I think with that is MSU fans, if you canceled the season tomorrow, would be totally happy with that because at least they beat Michigan. And, I mean <laughs> – when you think about it, one and two isn't like awful. I think this Michigan State team might finish one and eight, which would be awful. But I mean, yeah, one and two with a Michigan win, they'll take it, especially after last year um, and the last few years, the D'Antonio era, they'll take it. Uh, but yeah, this Michigan State team is awful. Still not the worst team in the Big Ten, though. I think that title has to go to the Illinois Fighting Illini. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on Illinois. Uh, Illinois just looks wow. It bad uh let's talk about illinois uh who lost their game this week to minnesota uh they lost it 41 to 14 uh their second blowout loss of the season uh, this illinois defense came into the season getting a lot of hype from both of us especially those defensive backs uh they've given up 39 points per game on the year and they've only scored 15 points per game uh and most of those points come from almost beating purdue at home with a fourth string quarterback uh, playing his first college snaps, which, I mean, what does that tell you about Purdue and their undefeated start? Kind of looks a little shakier now. Who knows about that? Purdue might luck their way into winning the West anyway. Illinois is bad. Illinois is really, really, really bad, especially with Brandon Peters out due to COVID. And let's take a second to talk about the Minnesota Golden Gophers. My biggest question after looking at this game is what is going on with Tanner Morgan? We came into this year thinking he was going to have another good year. He was going to get on the national spotlight. He might have been picked in the draft at some point other than like the seventh round. Maybe he'd be a, a third rounder or so. And he's just looked bad through three weeks. I mean, this is Illinois we're talking about. And like we said, this this defense was hyped up. But, I mean, they did not live up to this hype at all. And in this game against Illinois, he had a one-to-one uh, touchdown to interception ratio. You can't have that. And I know that this Minnesota offense relies on Mo Ibrahim a lot, but come on, Tanner Morgan. I mean, you've got one of the best receivers in the nation and Rashad Bateman to throw to, and you can't get it done. What happened to this guy? He looked great last year, and he has completely fallen off. Starting to, think Mo that, uh, starting to think that Tyler Johnson was a whole lot more important to this offense than uh, you might have thought previously. Yeah. And that you're completely right about that. I said this in the offseason. I said not having Tyler Johnson is going to draw a lot more double coverage to Rashad Bateman, which in turn is going to hurt the Minnesota offense. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. You don't have Tyler Johnson as the fallback, can't get it to Bateman option. And Bateman's not a good enough receiver to where he can consistently beat that double coverage. Say like a David Bell. Uh but but this 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 Tanner Morgan season has just been terrible. But on the flip side, Muhammad Ibrahim has been incredible. I mean, this guy has been on an absolute tear this season. I mean, he's got 571 yards, 10 touchdowns on the year. I've read some stat. He's like 25th in the nation in rushing yards so far. And the, the crazy thing is all the 24 players ahead of him have played at least three more games than him, which is just nuts. And uh, 
and he certainly carried the Minnesota offense for a third consecutive game. Uh, 224 yards and four touchdowns. Again, it's still annoying. This guy is among the nation's top tailbacks without a shadow of a doubt, and I think he's the best in the Big Ten. He's got to be on play of the game here. He picked up 224 oh, yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. He's been their entire offense and maybe even their entire team all year, but that was even more so true against Illinois. He stepped up when they needed it. I mean, it's still in Illinois, but that's impressive. And I said going into this year, Mo Ibrahim, going to be a guy to look out for. I was high on him, and I was high on this entire Minnesota team. I was wrong about that, but at least I got one thing right in Ibrahim. Yeah, Ibrahim's been great, and uh, I wasn't as high on him, uh, but he is he's proven me wrong. He is, I think, the best running back in the Big Ten now, and I don't think there's much of a debate about it. Yeah, he, he's starting to put up Jonathan Taylor numbers, and he's looking like him, which is funny considering Minnesota last year was such a pass-heavy offense. Mm-hmm. Um, did a full 180. They did the opposite of Wisconsin, of what Wisconsin did this season, actually. Wisconsin pivoting from a Jonathan Taylor-led offense to a air raid style led by Graham Mertz. Minnesota doing the total inverse of that, but Tanner Morgan, we were talking about him earlier. And I mean, the problem when you were talking about Bateman being double covered is when I made my prediction, I thought Tanner Morgan was a good enough quarterback to be able to adapt and to be able to find somebody other than Bateman or Johnson to find, to pass to and find success for this offense. Thing is he just isn't good enough. Um, you could call him assistant quarterback. You call him a quarterback who relies on elite receivers too much. I don't know if there's a term for that, but he he is not the player who I thought he was, to say the least. I'll tell you this. Minnesota minus Muhammad Ibrahim is Illinois. I don't know about that. Um, they're similar to Illinois. Um, I think they're Illinois, but slightly better throughout. But uh, you're right about that in that, um, I mean, that's not a perfect comparison because as, as much as I'm not super high in Morgan right now, he's definitely better than Brandon Peters and um, any backup third string, fourth string that Illinois might be playing um, considering this whole COVID situation plus potential injuries. But you're right that this Minnesota team is just as stagnant and hard to watch. Yeah, uh, not not the year Minnesota fans were hoping for uh, when they came into the season, but it's the year they got. Anyway, let's move into our next game, Nebraska-Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern's 3-0 in conference play for the first time in 20 years. They took down the Huskers 21-13. Again, the Northwestern defense steps up. They've given up just 12 points per game this season. I thought Nebraska was going to look really solid coming off of an extended break. They did not. Uh so what are your thoughts on this Wildcat defense and kind of a disappointing effort from the Huskers? I've said this before, and I think it's even more true after this game. This Nebraska defense is great, and the offense is good enough. They really proved it in this game. Once again, the offense wasn't tremendous. They scored 21 points. That's good. That's fine. Um, but it's the defense who wins the games. It's the defense that won in this game. And like I said, this offense, good enough. Defense continues to look strong. Um, and the secondary really surprised me. I thought this, uh, looking, going into the season, you look at this Northwestern defense, you're like, yeah, it's, it's the linebackers. They're the real strength of this team, but the secondaries look great. I mean, they got three picks against Talia. They got picks, uh, in the last two weeks. Um, they're looking like one of the stronger secondary units in the big 10. So, um, I am excited to see what they're going to do when they face, 
Wisconsin and Purdue, two really good uh, offenses who like to pass the ball. They got good receivers, and Wisconsin's got a great quarterback. Purdue, maybe not so much, but either way, two teams who can pass the ball. I'm excited to see what this secondary will do against them. Yeah, uh, this is going to be a fun game this week when Northwestern plays Purdue, but uh, this, uh, this Northwestern defense is looking great. Uh, and I was super high on them early in the season. Coming into the season, I called them my Big Ten West preseason champion. I was right. Uh, they are looking really, really good. And I think the biggest reason for that has been the linebackers, really. Patty Fisher is incredible. And even more impressive, I think, has been Chris Bergen, uh, who is the defensive player of the week in the Big Ten. And he had 11 tackles, one and a half for a loss. And, uh, I mean, th this team. Don't forget that interception, too. Yeah, to pick. Yeah, my bad. Uh, th this team, they're riding off the back of this defense. They can hold everybody under 28 points a game at the very least. They're holding everybody at under 20 points a game, really. This defense is going to win them a lot of games. Peyton Ramsey doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, he struggled a little bit in this game. They just got to, you know, play good enough. And that was the thing. Northwestern had an elite defense last season, but the offense was absolutely inept. Now the offense is good enough, so that's going to win them a lot of games. And let me give an honorable mention. Chris Bergen is my player of the game for this one. Let me give an honorable mention to Blake Gallagher. He had 14 tackles, two for a loss. It's players like this, key for Northwestern. When you look at Northwestern's defensive stats, you just see incredibly high numbers for tackles, tackles for losses, sacks uh, that you just don't see on other defenses. They are consistently making the plays they need to make, getting interceptions, fumble recoveries, tackles for losses. Um, this defense is getting it done. I don't think they have what it takes to hold Ohio State um, under, say, 28 points if they face one of the Big Ten championship, if Northwestern does end up going as far as you think they will. But every one of their schedule, it's definitely within the realm of possibility to hold them to under four scores. Yeah, this team's good. Uh, they are about as real as it gets, I think. They are totally for real. Uh, Nebraska, I'm out. If I wasn't out before, I'm out now. See ya. Yeah. Um, when we talk about Nebraska, one thing I saw in, in this game is that Adrian Martinez needs to run the ball more. And this offense is already really run-oriented, but Adrian Martinez is just n no better than a mediocre passing quarterback. Uh, we've called him a dual threat, but he's really more of a runner. And I'm not saying in the future um, that it needs to be become a thing forever for this Nebraska team to run a completely run-oriented one-dimensional offense. But as of right now, they need to look like what we've seen in Army and Navy and the old Georgia Tech teams, uh, the way they need to run the ball, because that is the only thing that seems to be working for them. They don't pass the ball too often, but it still seems like they pass it more often than they need to. Um, the run game works for them, or at least it works better than the alternative. They need to rely on that more, and they need Adrian Martinez to be a bigger component there. I agree with you completely. Not really much more I can add to that, but Nebraska, I think it's their make-or-break week this, this week against Penn State. Uh, kind of a loser-leaves-town match. I referred to that earlier. Uh, whoever loses this game, I think, is dead in the water for the rest of the season. Uh, moving on from that game, though, Rutgers and Ohio State. Uh, so, so the Buckeyes, yeah, it was 49-27, but you know, this probably would have been a 15-point margin of victory if it weren't for a late turnover for Rutgers. And, you know, this game was not the blowout a lot of people thought it would be. Yes, Ohio State won by a lot, 
And yes, Ohio State will have a better team throughout. But Rutgers is feisty. They tried a lot of trick plays, a lot of laterals, you know, crazy stuff. It just They knew that they were overmatched in talent, so they had to make up for it somehow. I think creativity was how they tried to do it, which is smart. Chris Ash wasn't going to do that. Greg Schiano is going to do that. He is a smart coach. He's going to elevate this Rutgers program, but at the same time, you're not beating Justin Fields when he's playing like that. He is the clear Heisman frontrunner at this point, and I don't think it's going to be a contest the rest of the way. By the way, I tweeted this, and I will stand by it. I think Ohio State's going to win the national championship, and it won't be particularly close. This team looks unbeatable. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to put the sunglasses on this week because it was Rutgers, and we didn't blow them out. It's nothing to really celebrate. It's what you expect. I expected a win. Um, similar to this, I expected a larger score, but when you look at it, you might think, oh, Ohio State, you know, they, they didn't blow Rutgers out. They're, maybe their national championship hopes aren't as secure as we thought. Rutgers got a lot of garbage time points. At the end of the third quarter, the score was 42 to nine. So I still am confident in this Ohio State team. I'm confident in this offense. But one thing I'm not really behind is the fact that Justin Fields was playing late in this game. Why in the fourth quarter of a game against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights is Justin Fields on the field? That makes no sense to me at all. Ryan Day, I have total faith in him in just about every situation except for the way he insists on playing fields for almost entire games, if not entire games. No other quarterbacks got any action against Rutgers, which I think is a huge mistake. First of all, we got to see what the backups can do. We got to see how they fare against teams like this, and Rutgers was the perfect opportunity for it. It's a good team, but you're up big on them, so there's not really a threat of losing. But we also can't see Justin Fields get injured because no matter how good your backup is, he's not going to be a replacement of Justin Fields. Justin Fields is the most valuable player in the country, I'd say. He's the most valuable player on this Ohio State team, most valuable player in the country. Should be the Heisman winner, in my opinion. You can't afford to lose this guy. And it's just puzzling to me why he's playing in the fourth quarter. No, I agree with you. I, I think I get the logic here. They want to pad his stats so he can win the Heisman because you only have two weeks where Trevor Lawrence isn't going to be playing and you're playing a whole lot less games than Trevor Lawrence anyway. You got to get his stats up to snuff and uh, playing him in garbage time against a team like Rutgers is how you do it. That's just, I think that's the reason. Not saying I agree with it when your goal is to win a national championship and ultimately something like the Heisman Trophy is superfluous, but as incredible as it is, it's not the championship. You want to win the championship, you want to have your superstar quarterback healthy because you're not winning it with a backup. And here's what I think about that whole Heisman thing. Um, Ohio State's schedule isn't filled with incredibly impressive teams, but the thing is neither is Clemson's. Their biggest game is Notre Dame and Trevor Lawrence didn't play there. So he's not going to have an incredible resume either. So if Justin Fields, he's put up incredible numbers in the first three weeks of the season. If he just continues to do that, he has games. Uh, he's got a game against Indiana. That's a great defense. He looks good there. That's uh, that's really good for his resume. Then the Big Ten Championship, assuming Ohio State makes it, he's going to face either – I'm just going to go ahead and assume it's going to be either Wisconsin or Northwestern. Hopefully it won't be Purdue. I would hate to see that happen, and I, I, I don't want to jinx that right now. But let's assume it's Northwestern or Wisconsin. That's another great defense. If he looks good against them and just looks consistent throughout the year, that's enough to make an incredible case for the Heisman. And at the end of the day, I think his health and Ohio State's overall performance um, and security that their quarterback is going to be healthy throughout the year is more important than a Heisman trophy. Of course, every guy like Justin Fields wants to win the Heisman. And 
if you're Ryan Day, you want to see happy, you want to see it happen for him, but I just don't think it's worth it. I agree. Uh, but I get it. I get why they're doing it if they want that trophy so badly. And that's why they're doing it. That's just the way it is. One thing though with Ohio State, are you worried about this run game at all? Because I kind of am, but the pass game is so good to where I don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things. I'm worried about the run game, but not worried about it to the point of where I think they're going to lose games. I agree with you on that. And I think when you, when you look at a team like say Northwestern who has really good pass defense, the problem with that is Ohio State just has such incredible wide receivers paired with the best quarterback in the country that I think even a great secondary um, and a great deal line to pressure the quarterback isn't going to be enough to, to halt this team. And it's similar to the Northwestern situation where the defense is great, the offense is good enough. The passing offense is great. The run offense is good enough. They get yards from them when they need it. Uh, they'll get a touchdown here and there. It's enough. So I think it's sustainable. I think it's just fine. But I want to talk about what it takes to beat Ohio State. Because we've seen, like you said, this Ohio State team looks unbeatable. Um, I think right off the bat, it's hard to stop this Ohio State offense. Um, so it's going to come down to the opponent's offense. Can you outscore Ohio State in a Big 12-style shootout? Um, especially with the troubles that the Ohio State secondary has been having, you got to be able to pass the ball efficiently. you got to have a gunslinging quarterback and you have to put up a lot of points. Um, I'll tell you what, I think the only team left on Ohio State's schedule that can really hang with them and maybe beat them is Indiana, because think about it. Elite secondary, gunslinging quarterback can get the ball downfield with some elite receivers. That's what it takes to beat Ohio State. Force them to run the ball. And if you can put up a bunch of points, you know, Indiana scored over 35 points in all their games. I mean – there's going to be any team that can beat Ohio State. I think it's the Hoosiers. And let me make one thing very clear. If you want to beat Ohio State, you have to be perfect through four quarters. You can't make a single mistake. Rutgers, early on, they made some mistakes. And I think even if Rutgers played a perfect game, they wouldn't beat Ohio State. But they, they looked like they were going to keep it close early. They made a few mistakes, and they were out of it by about the end of the first half. You have to be perfect. You can't make a single mistake throughout 60 minutes of football if you want to have a shot of beating Ohio State because you give them an inch, they will take a mile. And that's just the way it is in, in this season's Big Ten, this season's Ohio State team. And it's, it's a sad truth for the rest of the Big Ten, but that is the way it is. Ohio State is unbeatable unless you have a team who is great and a team who doesn't make mistakes. You agree with me, though. Do you think Indiana, if there's any team that's perfectly made to beat this Ohio State team, it's them, right? I say they're the best option. I don't see it happening. I don't see Indiana. Oh, I agree. I, I don't think they're going to win at this point, at least. But I think if there's anybody to do it, it's them. But I think even then, it's, it's sort of like a process of elimination thing. They're the best candidate, but the best candidate isn't necessarily the one who's going to do it. I think – the only teams who can beat Ohio State this year are Clemson and Alabama. And we'll see if that happens in the playoff, assuming Ohio State does make the playoff, uh, and assuming those team, those two teams do as well. Um, I think those are the only teams who can manage a win. And I don't agree with your statement that it won't be close in the playoff um, if Ohio State makes it. I think Alabama and Clemson at the very least keep it close um, because those – I don't want to see you underestimate those teams too much. They've looked great so far and they can definitely give Ohio State a run for their money. 
think Maryland hangs with them this week? For a quarter. Maybe. But no. Kind of sounds right. I'd say maybe for a half. Maybe this one's a little too close at halftime, but uh, we'll talk about that in our week four preview, if you can believe it or not. We are halfway almost through the scheduled Big Ten games, not including the championship week uh, cross-divisional uh, yet-to-be-announced games. That's our show for today, though. Reed, thanks for recording with me here today. It was a good one. You can follow us on all our social medias. Now we're at First and One G everywhere. That is our Instagram. That is our Twitter. You can find us on all of your social media platforms. We're on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, First and One G. Thank you for listening. Have a good one. Bye.